people know a, a little about a lot. Information is very easily gained, but it's not very deep. Hmm. And there has to be a great emphasis and a very deliberate intent, I think, on the part of a younger generation to go deep because there's much less in the culture and the technology around them that would encourage them to go that way. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 139. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and thanks for listening. The interview that you're about to hear is the first interview that I ever did for this podcast. Um, We recorded it in Thousand Oaks, California back in 2018 in the office space of One Love Church in Thousand Oaks. And this was right before the first ever Expositors Collective training weekend. Um, We had gathered together uh, various teachers and preachers and invited just, um, you know, loads of young and new Bible teachers. And we wanted to invest in them and help them to grow in their personal study and public proclamation of God's word. At the time, we thought this was just kind of a once-off event, but it has since grown into somewhat of an international movement with training weekends that have taken place all over the U.S. and one in Europe with uh, online webinars, with uh, a, a podcast that is currently at 139 episodes. So here you are able to listen in on the very early moments of this, uh, this movement that was just getting started. This episode was released as episode 001 of the podcast, and we hardly had any subscribers back then. So I'm re-releasing this because I think it's just too good to stay in the archives of the internet, and I want to bump it up into your earbuds today. In this, we talk about how preaching has changed um, for David personally over the years, and also how preaching has changed in the information-rich, smartphone-enabled era that we live in now, and the challenges and the opportunities that young preachers face today. So we talk about much more, but before we play the actual interview, let me just say, if you're listening to this as it comes out, I want to say that our webinar, our, our next webinar, is taking place Saturday, December 5th. So if you're listening to this as a new episode, that's this Saturday, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we have Thomas Terry from the Trinity Church in Portland. Um, He's going to come speak to us for about a half hour. And then we're going to have a half hour of Zoom interactive uh, Q&A with Thomas Terry. So go to expositorscollective.com, scroll to the bottom, click register and we'll have you, you'll be able to join us for this Saturday's webinar with Thomas Terry. Okay, I'm going to get out of the way. Here is myself and Michael McCaleb speaking to pastor and author and commentator David Guzik about the changing face of preaching over the years. Thanks, Mike. Very happy to be here. I'm very excited about this conference coming up. Well, it's not really uh, right to call it a conference little bit of an unconference. Yes. Very participatory. Yes. Would you like to participate, Michael? <laughs> yeah, I'm just so thankful to be here. Um, as a worship leader, I often teach, and so I'm thankful to glean and learn whatever I can this yeah. uh, day. Yeah, so 
Um, David, you are not a, a worship leader. Uh, you, in fact, teach quite a bit. Um, how long have you been teaching and preaching? Well, it's a good thing that I'm not a worship leader. It wouldn't be. It'd be very distracted. I, I've been teaching the Bible uh, since I was about 16 years old. When I was 16 years old, the pastor of the small Calvary Chapel that I attended in Ventura, California, he asked me if I wanted to start teaching a home Bible study. So that's, that's when I started. So I'll be 56 later this year. So for some 40 years, I've been teaching the Bible. Wow. Wow, that's massive. And when you were teaching at 16, was it mostly 16-year-olds that were coming along to the Bible study? No, it was a group of adults who were like in their mid-20s. It was a very small home group, six or seven people, just some people at a home in Ojai, California. And uh, I, I can't o- tell you... OJ. OJ, yes. So I, think, I think they pronounce it OJ over there. And I couldn't tell you the exact age. As I look back on it now, they seemed older, but at that time, mid-20s to early 30s seemed older to me. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Some people with some young families is what it was. Wow. Wow. So part of the focus of the Expositors Collective is to train and equip and encourage young preachers. And so I, I, I think, although, no offense, but you're technically not a young preacher anymore, but you were, no, amongst, no offense amongst, taken. you were amongst the youngest of preachers that I've ever heard of, 16. Yes. Um, I Again, all I can see is the hand of the Lord in that, because it wasn't something I pursued. I was quite surprised when the pastor asked me, and um, it really wasn't any out of great profound spiritual reason that I'm aware of that he asked me. It was more of a very practical thing. But I was grateful for the opportunity, and God obviously had his hand upon it. Are there any recordings that we could get a hold of? From no, now that's a great question. Um, I started teaching a home Bible study at 16. There's no recordings of that, but I probably could find some recordings of me preaching and teaching in my young 20s at Calvary Chapel of Oxnard, which my very good friend Lance Ralston and I, we planted that church together starting when I was only 19. Wow. Wow. And for now, like, audio is Does, so does it make you wonder what you've done with your life, Mike? <laughs> you know, uh, so, so myself and Michael, we both know you from Germany, yes. actually. Yes, yes, And I remember in Germany, doing the math or figuring it out, I think that you planted a church the year that I was born, I think. Probably so. Uh, so 1982 I'll, I'll, yeah. is when we started uh, Calvary Chapel of Oxford. That's yet. right. <laughs> yeah. 84. <laughs> Yeah, I was born at the very end of 1982, in yeah. December. So I was like, I was being gestated. That's right, that's right. <laughs> so yeah. you were, yeah, birthing a church while I was being birthed. There we go, there He's we go. Sparkle in my, in my father's eye. That's right, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, yeah, so, so again, so as we're like, I guess, emphasizing like the, 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 I hate to say the next generation of leaders and teachers. I, I would say they're, the current generation. They're the present generation, yeah. yes. Um, what is it about, like, what do you, sorry, what do you believe that, like, young Bible teachers uh, need to know? Well, their needs, in one sense, are no different than the needs of any generation. Yeah. They need to have a real relationship with God. Uh, they need to have a gift and a calling by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and they need the training, the repetition that comes, not only from good instruction, but there's something about just repetition that brings skill and wisdom and experience, obviously, Could you say in that what again? we're doing. Uh, there's just something in, yes, <laughs> that's right, the first rule of, uh, of education is repetition, repetition, repetition. So uh, anyway, 
so I, I think in one sense, you know, these things are constant throughout every generation of the Church. It's a legacy from us to pass on from one generation to another, and it has been since the last 2,000 years. There is a difference, I think, a little bit in the social and technological environment of the present day that merits our attention. And it has a little bit to do with how people interact with one another in the modern age, which social media and internet and all of that has had a great effect on. And it also has to do with how people acquire and pursue information today. I believe personally that um, Google and the, and the whole environment around it has had a very significant effect on how a younger generation gathers and processes information. Right. Have, have you seen people Google or fact-checked you as you preach? Oh, well, I haven't noticed it, but I know they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, this is something that I think preachers should understand, that you, you can't just throw out lame statistics off the cuff. There are people fact-checking you even as you speak. And yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's a good thing for us to remember as preachers. We, we should have always had that earnestness after getting things right. Yeah. Uh, now we're just sort of more accountable to that. Modern Bereans. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that the days of an authoritative pulpit, uh, I don't want to say they're over, but the idea of like, oh, that, that man is standing up there, therefore I trust him. Um, or therefore he is the authority and he's right about everything, I think those are, those are over. Well, yeah, people aren't, aren't ready to give that to you automatically. Yeah, uh, th- There used to be much more of that tendency. But really what I'm getting at, Mike, with the effect of Google and the way we gain and process information, for me it more has to do with the way that I think in the modern age, a younger generation perhaps, people know a, a little about a lot Information is very easily gained, but it's not very deep. Hmm. And there has to be a great emphasis and a very deliberate intent, I think, on the part of a younger generation to go deep because there's much less in the culture and the technology around them that would encourage them to go that way. Okay, fascinating. Um, So like I mentioned uh, Michael and I, we both met you in, in Germany, and I was part of your 2002 class? Actually, three. 2003. Three was when we started, yes. What, way to fact check me, right? <laughs> yeah, right there. <laughs> well, it's just because it's pretty easy for me to remember when we came to yeah. Germany. Yeah. yeah. And you were part of my very first class. The very first class. Yes. Yeah. And... I remember picking you up at the train station. Really? Yeah, I do. I, I do. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe it was the airport, but I think it was the airport where it goes yeah. down to the train station. Okay. In Frankfurt. Mad. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, I remember that semester, and, like, no no joke, like, I've said this to you in public, in private, I'll say it in public, like, I think that changed my life. Like, that was a semester that just, like, changed the course of my life. Mm-hmm. And that was when I, I felt, like, God's call on me to teach and preach. And, like, I just put that, like, I lay that at your feet. That's your fault. <laughs> um, and so much of it was... Um, you know, A, you made it, like, accessible and um, satisfying, I guess. Like, you obviously love teaching and preaching so much that it made mm-hmm. it look like, I, I'd love to try that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also had a, had a group where you, you kind of had a, a bit of a Spurgeon um, model of helping young people to become familiar with teaching and preaching. Do you want to talk right, about that? Right. Well, um, I, I do love to talk about God's Word. I love to talk about it 
in informal settings. I love to talk about it in a preaching setting. I mean, this is just something that's that's something that gives me a lot of joy, a lot of happiness to do, and I I hope that comes through in the way that I do ministry. I mean, I I really love what I get to do. I'm I'm very grateful to God for it. So, I I, I think that is it does have a bit of a draw to it when that's sincere. Hmm. I mean, obviously nobody should fake that kind of thing, but if it's there, you shouldn't be afraid to let it out because it will draw other people to say, not only can I do this, but wow, I, I want to do this. Yeah. This is something that, yeah. that is good. It's, there's an attractive quality to it. But also, I mean, what we were doing there in Germany was we started a, a small international Bible college, a Calvary Chapel Bible College campus there. And very deliberately as part of that, is the the job of raising up men and women to be uh, capable and and um, functioning Bible teachers and preachers. So we just institute some things like that. We had uh, formal and informal groups where we'd get together and do something that we call what pick and preach. You pick remember that? Preach. Yeah, very Where much. we would just assign a text to somebody, and they would have to get up and spontaneously have to preach on it. Michael, were you ever part of Prick and, Pre- Pick yes, and I, Preach? Yes, I, I remember. Um, I think that you opened up the Bible to a passage in Jeremiah, I believe, about Shiloh, and yes. I was just blown away that you, you just pulled it right out of that. that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a great class. Uh, so great to see people starting off and then growing and getting better, and I, I was hoping that the same, uh, that I was also a part, <laughs> part of that. Well, but that's the interesting thing about this gift of preaching and teaching that God gives, is that it's a gift, I I like to think, that's given in seed form. So there is a spiritual impartation of this gift Mm. that can't be manufactured or faked, but on the other hand, it has to be developed. Part of that development, I think, comes through practical instruction. Mm. Probably part of it comes through the school of hard knocks. I think that's been a lot of my story. And then part of it just comes through that thing of experience that we mentioned before. Yeah, you talked about repetition. Yes. Um, would you be familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's kind of rule of 10,000 hours? Yes, his concept of the outlier. And uh, it takes 10,000 hours of something to truly master it, at least to come to your potential of it. And I, I'm pretty big on that concept. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about the exact number, but yeah. just conceptually, that if you want to do something well, you've got to do it again and again and again and invest significant time and effort into it. Yeah. Oh, Which yeah. I have to say, I mean, I, I look back over my life and ministry and both in study and preparation and in the actual you know, bringing forth of preaching and teaching, um, it's, it's a substantial investment of time and effort. Yeah. Yeah, I think just the same with music. Um, people want to be able to pick up the guitar, take a few lessons, and then play like, uh, who knows, Jimi Hendrix or something. Mm-hmm. But that time that's put into it, you have to continue to pour that in. And that's something I'm amazed by that I remember, I don't know if you still do this or not, but that you will still preach a sermon before you even go up to preach the sure, sermon. Sure, sometimes I'll do that. I'll, I'll preach a sermon to an empty room uh, for my own benefit and just to... Uh, just to understand and, and to be able to understand something about the pacing and just to see, almost to see if it ministers to my own soul mm. as I'm preaching it. And, and again, there, there's nothing that replaces that. Now, I, I don't believe that preachers are performers, okay. but there is an element of that. 
Now, when you see somebody perform, a musician, as you mentioned, Michael, an athlete, we see what they do and we're like, oh, I want to do that. But what's invisible at the time of the performance are the endless hours mm. that went into what they did. And the same is true for preaching. Yeah, I, I certainly don't feel that I've um, arrived yet. But, but at the same time, I think I've, I've never preached better than I'm preaching these yes. days. And a lot of it is a lot of it's repetition. Yes. And I'm I'm really thankful that I got to like a in Bible college be kind of invited to, um, you know, learn some of the techniques. But then that I got to start preaching at a, at a pretty young age, um, where I was an occasional preacher at like 21, mm -hmm. 22, yes. and then I think in, I was 23 years old when I took over Calvary Cork. Right. And so I've been I've been pastoring since um, 2005. Yeah. And so I've got. You know, I'd like to say I'd like to. I've gotten all my bad sermons out of the way, um, and they've been inflicted on the previous congregation. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's something to that. There's something to the idea, and sometimes I've told people this in preaching and teaching classes. I say, look, the first hundred or two hundred messages you do are going to be fairly terrible. Get them out of the yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> Get yeah. them out of the way, and then just as as you build on, you can. Uh, you know, just again, there, there's nothing that can replace that experience. And the experience isn't only the experience of standing in front of a group of people, whether it's a small group or a larger group, that's kind of irrelevant. It isn't just the experience of standing in front of people and delivering the Word of God, but it's also the experience of preparation right. to, to do that. Right. Yeah. yeah, so it sounds nearly unspiritual to say that, and you're not saying this, that it's just a matter of practice makes perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that it is, what did you call it? There's like a seed form of the gift? Yeah, I, the gift of preaching and teaching is given uh, in seed form, and then it has to be developed. It has to be developed. Yeah. I mean, look, um, when you started your work of preaching and teaching, you believed that you had the gift, but you are very different, and I would say better preacher and teacher today yeah. than you were when you started. And that's because that seed has blossomed. It's been nourished. We could get a, really follow this analogy pretty well. Kind of work that out for us, Michael. But you get you understand that. Yeah. You know the seed; yeah. it's planted well, it's the and germinates, <laughs> and it has nutrition, all the rest. You know, and then fall comes, and then what? But whatever, you get the idea. Yeah. Um, it, it it has to grow and yeah. develop along the way. It takes years to bear fruit. Mm -hmm. So it. Hmm. And if you wanted to carry that analogy out, there are things that can be done along the way to encourage that development or to hold back the development. Right. Yeah. Do you think that in this modern day, um, with all of the, uh, we talk about Google, um, just distraction, that that can become a hindrance to preparation because our culture is so quick to Absolutely. distract themselves? And, and sort of as the opposite of distraction, I would, I would use the word focus. What, what kind of the Googleization, if that's a word, of our thinking means that it's more difficult than ever for people to really focus on something intensely mm. in their mind, in their attitude for an extended period of time. And I think that that's an essential component of proper study of the Bible and preparation to, to preach. I, I flew over here yesterday, and I was trying to, to read, and I was you know finalizing my, my notes for my talk, and I found it quite distracting because all of the seats had 
films on them. And mm-hmm. so there's all of these um, just films showing. So there's like violence and sports and yes. talk shows. And I can see all of them out of the periphery of my eye. And I'm just trying to, like, to, to read. And it's actually quite, quite distracting. And then kind of realize like I do the exact same thing. You know, I have yes. all these tabs open on my yes. computer, um, all these thoughts and all these notifications that come through. The only difference is I'm interested in the tabs that I have open. Yeah, you've chosen those. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a, a friend of mine. Uh, you may know Nate Holdridge. He's the pastor of a church in Monterey, right. California. Yeah. Wonderful guy. Great preacher. I, I really respect Nate. Um, I heard him speak recently, and he mentioned how he has this program both for his phone and his computer that locks him out of the internet for a prescribed period of time. So when he gets down to study, he cannot access the internet on those devices Mm -hmm. for two hours. You you set it for whatever period of time you want. And he goes, it's just great. Then he's utterly free from the temptation to hunt around to other distractions. Mm -hmm. You know, look, I think that kind of thing, that philosophy is important for people to carry through. Yeah, yeah. And all those rabbit trails, they all start good. Yes. You know, let me just go on Wikipedia and make sure that date is proper. Right. And, and then right. you end up just, right. you know, seven open tabs. and yeah. You know, I, I suppose sometimes everybody has a way of kind of overvaluing sometimes their own experience. But I look at myself, uh, born in 1962. I, I think I'm almost at the perfect golden age where I was raised and trained and learned how to think in a pre-computer internet age. Hmm. So um, I think maybe the, the environment around me allowed and encouraged focus, in-depth thought more. Hmm. But yet today, I enjoy the fruits and the benefits of the technological world, which are wonderful. Right. I mean, I'm not anti-technology or you know, no, smash not. our devices, not at all. But I think there's deliberate ways that we can address these things that the culture and the technology around us kind of fight against. But I think some of it comes through uh, seeing that deci- or seeing that modeled as well mm. in in another generation. I'm I'm so thankful for the internship that I had because that was an opportunity where I was able to ask questions. Um, I think that that mentorship, that discipleship, is so important. And then to see that modeled, um, modeling that self control with certain things, yeah. is something that then catches on. You, sure. you learn something from another person and yeah. you say, oh, hey, yeah, that's a... That's right. And, and this ability to focus, it's a trainable skill. I, 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 I imagine, you know, a 20-year-old today feeling like it's very difficult for them to do and the pull of distraction is almost overwhelming. But the ability to focus is trainable just in the same sense that in a pre-literate um, age, people uh, were able to memorize... Right enormous sections of the scripture or literature. Well, that ability for memorization is still within us. I mean, our children can, you know, make us marvel about that ability of memorization from time to time. That ability is in us. We just don't train it. Um, So as well, we we can pursue ways to to train this ability to focus in on the text and on, on what God would have us prepare as we preach. Yeah, so I hope no one would think... To use biblical language, let no one despise you because of your youth. Yes. And, and I hope that there's nobody that would be no. young that just thinks like, eh, sorry, I was born in the 90s. That means I can't focus. You yeah. Know? And you know what? Isn't there too much? I mean, I can say this as a guy who was born in 1962. I think generally, and it's probably always been true. I don't think there's anything unique about this time and place about it. 
But generally, the older generation tends to be negative about the younger generation. Oh, those kids. Right. Oh, yes. this and that. Oh, you can't do this. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's... And yeah. I, I suppose that's normal and natural. But overall, I'm encouraged about this young generation. Yeah. And I think that they have a tremendous ap- uh, opportunity to impact the world for Jesus Christ and his kingdom in remarkable ways. I, I think perhaps far surpassing the way that my own generation has been able to. Wow. And, and so in just a few minutes, you're going to address, you know, a hundred millennials who want to know how to teach and preach the Bible. Um, what are you going to say to them? Well, uh, I've been assigned the topic, and I was very happy to take the assignment, the power of expository preaching. One of the things I love about this, and I don't are we calling this a conference? Are we, I don't know what we're even calling this, because it's a not a typical yes. conference. Oh, boy, gathering. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't use that. It's Maybe collect- not would have showed up. It's the expositor's it's a, okay, it's collective. collective. Okay, yes. it's a collective, whatever that means. But... Um, I'm very glad that this is not a traditional conference. Look, there's a place for traditional conferences, and God uses them, and I'm grateful for it. But I do think that there is a need for something that is much more interactive, relational, and collaborative. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be a big emphasis in this particular uh, collective or gathering uh, over the next couple days when we get together. Now, my part in that, at least with this first session, is to really talk about the... And I, I thought carefully about my preparation for this. Um, my instinct was to talk about the importance of expository preaching, okay. but that wasn't my assignment. Yeah, and, and I think everyone here already agrees that it's yes, important. Yes, yes. So obviously you can't talk about the power without implying the importance. Mm. Um, so I am, I'm going to talk about how biblically and practically expository preaching is a powerful thing. And at the outset, because I think somebody at this gathering has to do it, I, I will give a little bit of attempt to define what expository preaching is. Okay. And I, th- I think that'll be helpful as well. Wonderful. Okay, well, it's almost time for the, 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 the collective gathering <laughs> workshop. Yes, collab- whatever. Yes, that's about right. To, about to yes, start. sir. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much, David. I did just want to give a brief shout-out to EnduringWord.com. Um, thank you. Y- you, finished, you finished it recently, right? Well, that's my website where I have commentary on the entire Bible. Last year in September um, 2017, I reached that milestone. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm still almost giddy about that. Think, I, 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 now, I'm kind of careful when I talk about it because... I don't think my work's finished. Yeah, maybe finished in that it's, it's endless corrections, improvements, revisions to make, but it was quite a milestone to be able to say, I've got something that I'm at least okay with on every book of the Bible. We're all still being blessed by it. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, weekly. Thanks. Every Thanks. every Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. is, is it true? I heard, I heard a rumor there's a big spike uh, it on is true. Saturday nights. It is true, although curiously... Uh, you know, because all this stuff is quantifiable on web traffic analytics. Norm- in a normal week, Wednesday is our most heavily trafficked day. Really? Yes, okay. Wednesday. But there is a pretty good spike uh, leading into Sunday. Okay. Looking, yeah. for, looking for that one That's last right. quote. Help me out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fact-checking. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, maybe it's good to see it Saturday night rather than that means that people hopefully already have their sermons ready. And they're yes. just looking for one last quote yeah. rather than, you know, you yeah. pulling it in at the beginning. Yeah. Who knows? Let's give, yeah. let's give them yeah. the benefit. That's right. Let's give us the Starting benefit. Starting the, the preparation at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, anyway, well, thank you so very much. Um, yeah, you've been a, a blessing in my life for years, and happy to uh, have you as the first guest on our podcast. Thank you, Mike. It's an honor. I really enjoy our friendship. It's wonderful to see how God's using you, and I'm excited about this podcast. Thank you.